Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect co worker of yours. A great Brazilian team. Scout, it's there. They're ahead. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's okay now. The goalkeeper's beaten. And South Africa have their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us late night. I'm Jason Longshore, alongside Jessica Jarman. And Jess, we are on the cusp of one of the biggest soccer moments in this country's history. U.S. men's national team facing England on Black Friday at the World Cup. This is going to be chaos. Yeah, it's been a long, long time coming. It's been talked about ever since the draw was made. We've been very excited now I'm feeling a little bit nervous as we get very, very much closer to it. A little bit of anticipation, a little bit of the unexpected. Not sure how these teams are going to line up. And, you know, I, I think you hit it really well when you said it could be one of the biggest matches in history between these two sides or for these two sides because of the tension that's there, because of the history that's there. And because it falls on Black Friday, I've heard that it could be one of the most watched soccer games in US history with it falling on the Black Friday. You love to see that growth. And I hope from an English perspective, we're able to spoil the party a little bit. 2010 was wild when these two teams opened the group and played first. It was a big day. It was a day that I'll kind of always remember everything around it and, and just how many people maybe surprised me that were into it. This is on another level. The game 12 years later in this country is on another level. And the expectation is on maybe another level. Maybe not. Maybe people are, are generally realistic. We're going to hear some expectations from a couple people who know a little bit about that. Anton Walks, formerly of Atlanta United, currently of Charlotte FC, formerly of Tottenham Hotspur as well. I think Anton might have played a little bit for some England youth national teams as well. We're also going to hear from Greg Garza, who played for the U.S. men's national team and Atlanta United. Get their expectations, get some predictions from them. We are going to catch up on the games that happened today. We've got to talk about Brazil and Richarlison as well. 
but a lot of this is going to be focused on U.S. England. Today, the media availability for both sets of, of teams and managers, nothing really shocking came out of it. Both managers, I thought, were pretty cagey. On the England side, Gareth Southgate said that Harry Kane was good, came through training, no problems, and he said it would be a brave decision to leave him out of the starting team. So Harry Kane's starting tomorrow. How you feel about that? <sighs> brave decision to start him, brave decision to leave him out, if I'm completely honest with you. I think that it shows the extent of his injury is probably more minor than we ever sort of thought based on the fact he needed a scan must be more precautionary than anything. They must feel very confident about it because you don't risk Harry Kane if you think it is something that could be aggravated by extra minutes or an unnecessary tackle. So listen, he's a player you always want on the pitch. If he's 100% fit, he brings so much to the game with dropping in, creating space. You know he's got a finishing touch. He's also a leader. You know a player's good when the opposition would rather not have him play. And I know, Jason, you're probably wishing those words had not been said. Yeah, I would be absolutely fine if it was Callum Wilson instead of Harry Kane. No offense to Callum Wilson. He's having a very good season in the Premier League. He's not Harry Kane. Harry Kane's one of the best forwards in the world, in my opinion. I think he's somebody that worldwide is underrated. Um, Golden Boot winner in 2018, but he's more than just a goal scorer. So even if he's not heavily involved up top, he'll facilitate for others. He's going to be somebody the U.S. has to deal with. Greg Berhalter, in his media availability, wouldn't really get into details about Weston McKinney, Serginho Dest. Both were coming in with injuries into the tournament. Both were subbed out against Wales in the second half. He said that they were both fine. Um, wouldn't get into any details on Gio Reyna either. Uh, he said that he was fine. He's available. So Greg was maybe a little cagier than Southgate in the situation, but that's typically how he's been. He doesn't want to give any of those kind of details away on the eve of the match. It's cards to your chest, and I completely understand it. I don't think it's a poor decision as a coach to not give away too much. For me, it's not just the injury, though, that's a concern. It's the yellow card accumulation that's a concern. And in a physical game like you expect it to be, where tensions may be flying, where challenges may be flying in, can you risk those two players picking up yellow cards? I'm not sure you can, Jason. Yeah, we'll get into that part in a minute. Um, starting lineup for England, according to reports across the pond uh, tonight, tomorrow morning over there, are saying that there's not going to be any changes to the starting 11 for England. We wondered if they would go back to three center backs, as Gareth Southgate does at times against strong opponents. Maybe he doesn't see the U.S. as a strong <laughs> opponent if he's going to go 4-3-3. I'm going to hope that it's more because he wants consistency and it's more because he's happy with what he's seen from the back four rather than underestimating the U.S. I think that would be a, a very silly move to underestimate the U.S. because we've seen what they can do. We've seen that first 45 minutes against Wales. And if they're able to replicate that across a full 90, then I think England should be feeling like they're going to be in a very strong competitive game. So I'm hoping, I'm a big believer in trying not to change a starting lineup if you can avoid it because you have a bit of consistency, particularly with the quick turnover between games. You're not going to get as many opportunities to work on it on the training field. So fingers crossed that's the mindset and not thinking that this is going to be a cakewalk for England. I'm curious to see how the U.S. press does against mm. two center backs and a goalkeeper or how Southgate kind of adapts himself tactically 
to that? Is it a, a central midfielder dropping in between the lines like Declan Rice? Is it somebody like Kieran Trippier kind of holding back a little bit to help build up the play? Because I thought the U.S. with their front three were incredibly disruptive to Wales with their three center backs. It just it kind of bottled everything up. We'll see. On the U.S. side, no real idea on what this lineup is going to look like. For me, the biggest one, I know everybody is is fixated on Gio Reyna. There, there's a thing, and I'm sure you've noticed it over the years, about U.S. soccer conversation and whether it's the the TV pundits or the website writers or the newspaper writers. It feels like there is a memo system that goes out where everybody has the same kind of talking point, the same kind of thing they get hung up on. Gio Reyna, the memo went out on Gio Reyna, I guess, late in the game against Wales. I don't think that's the biggest issue here. Tim Weah played really well. Gio Reyna would, wouldn't have been a major difference in that game. He might not be a major difference in this game. I think Brendan Aronson can be a major difference in this game. Thought he was great against Wales in his second half appearance. Um, he brings a ton of energy to the team. Mm -hmm. He knows the English style now in the mm -hmm. Premier League. And he might be the guy who, who starts in place of McKinney because of the injury slash yellow card situation. Yeah, I thought his energy was fantastic. I, I thought he brought something different. He brought a fearlessness. He brought an aggressiveness. And he's an exciting player. The fact you bring up the understanding of the English game is huge. Look at Japan. We talked about the advantage that Japan had having so many players that played in Germany, that understood the system, that understood the culture of the soccer style. Aronson gets it. And, and there's a big difference in having that experience in knowing some of the personnel, having played against, having played with some of the personnel, it gives you a, an advantage. And I think the biggest thing, as we mentioned, is that yellow card accumulation. Do you want to avoid risking McKinney, when you know that the game against Iran, if we're completely honest, is the biggest must-win game out of the two. Yeah, there, there's not a scenario where tomorrow is must-win. Of course, if you win, you're in much better shape going into the last day. But it's not a scenario where it's must-win. I think there's really not going to be a scenario where Iran is not a must-win or at least a must point if you somehow you beat England. Um, I think in the U.S. lineup, you know, you start from the back. Matt Turner is going to start. Anthony Robinson is a must. I, I thought mm -hmm. his motor late in that game against Wales just shocked me at times how much ground he was covering and how influential he is in the attack. Uh, Walker Zimmerman is going to start. He made one mistake. We need to leave him alone. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's way overblown. When players miss penalties, they don't get the same hate. I think it's mm. just like, come on, get off his back. Way overblown. Do you think the MLS tag doesn't help him in terms of the fact he's an MLS player. Do you think he gets even more criticism because For of some, that? from some from people who have an agenda? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and look, frankly, there's a lot of uh, U.S. soccer fans who have an agenda because. They did not grow up with MLS or MLS is not where they spend most of their soccer time. It's it's watching the Premier League typically or it's watching another European league. But the Premier League is the most watched European league in the United States. And a lot of people get hung up that if you're there or if you're somewhere in Europe, then you're better than being an MLS. And I don't think that's ever been the case. And I definitely don't think that's the case now with the, the level of MLS. 
with somebody like Tiago Almada going into the Argentine national team from MLS. Yeah, guys can play for the U.S. Walker Zimmerman is the best option. I think he's a better option than Cameron Carter Vickers. I think he's a better option than guys who aren't on this roster. I think the only person who would be first choice ahead of him mm -hmm. if they were available is Miles Robinson. And I think Miles had played himself into that position before his Achilles injury. Walker then really picked things up, has played very, very well. And he's a leader in the group. So his teammates are going to pick him up. He's going to start. I thought Tim Ream was was fabulous in, in the, the match. I, I thought he was great. I thought he was a good balance for, for Zimmerman. He's older. You do have to worry about the legs a little bit. But he started every game in the Premier League this year for Fulham. He plays with Anthony Robinson week in, week out at Fulham. I like that combination. And I, I wasn't a huge fan of Aaron Long towards the end of the season for the New York Red Bulls. So... I think Reem, if he's ready to go, Burhalter should roll with him. Yeah, I tend to agree. I thought he was fantastic. And the only issue I have is with his pace, but there's enough coverage around there in terms of helping him out if those moments come and he can adjust his style of play. Chemistry is a huge thing. You see it all the time. The players that know each other, that understand how they're going to play, that know the communication are going to be more successful. And that's an advantage of this U.S. back line. Yeah, I think Reem adds a lot. I think Long would be the replacement for Reem if he can't go. I think Carter Vickers is more of the like-for-like like for Zimmerman, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, bigger in the air, those sorts of situations. I don't know if Zimmerman and Carter Vickers works together quite as well. I don't know if the, the chemistry works together quite as well. Right back is a question. Serginho Dest, we talked about it. He, he was coming in injured. He's got a yellow card now. DeAndre Yedlin came on for him against Wales, and I thought Yedlin was fine. Yedlin had a good season for Miami. Mm -hmm. um, he's got experience. I think he can handle the moment if needed. You'd love to have Dest because of what he adds going forward, but Yedlin will be fine if they have to turn to him. Yeah, I thought he did absolutely fine. And like you say, had a really good season in MLS, has the World Cup experience, which is a huge thing when it's not on the U.S. team other than him. So knowing the big stage, understanding the level of the game is big, and he's a leader back there as well. Tyler Adams is a must start. You can go ahead and like print the lineup cards with Tyler Adams on it. He was brilliant against Wales. He needs to be brilliant against England. He's he's a must. There, there's no way he's not in your lineup. Eunice Musa, I think, deserves another start as well. That's we've talked about McKinney and Aaronson maybe swapping those two and their roles. I think Eunice Musa is the most dynamic of the central midfielders. We saw him flip the field a couple of times on the dribble. I'd like to see him do that more. Musa needs to be in this game, I feel like. Southgate will love that, won't he? Yeah, that was one of the, the funny <laughs> things uh, when asked about Greg Berhalter. Southgate said, well, he's, he's a good player recruiter, player identifier, because he, he stole one from us, didn't he? Because Musa could have represented England. He's representing Did at the, the youth US. level. Did at the youth yeah. level, so... Yeah, Arsenal missed out on him, too. I'm happy Eunice is wearing the U.S. shirt. Up top, you know, Pulisic is going to start. He is a guy who has to be on the field as much as possible, even when he's getting beat up like he was against Wales. You couldn't pull him out because it felt like he was dangerous every time the ball got near him. I think Josh Sargent did enough to keep his spot, and I think Tim Weah absolutely should be starting. The question would be, and this gets us to the end of the segment, is if you want to get Gio Reyna in there and you're going to play at Aronson in the midfield instead of McKinney, 
do you move Weya into the number nine position and play Reyna on the right side? It is a possibility. Weya typically is played on the wing for the U.S., but he has experience as a number nine. That is a potential wrinkle that Greg Verhalter could throw at England. We'll talk about more wrinkles in the match on both sides, and we're going to get into another big question from today. Did Brazil live up to the hype? We'll give you our thoughts on that and more in three minutes. Atlanta Soccer tonight, right back on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about. Basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, 92.9 Game and the Odyssey app. U.S. England tomorrow, but we did finish out the match day one for everybody today. So let's run through the games today. Start with Brazil, the favorites for almost everybody. They get their first action. Doesn't feel like the World Cup is really underway until we see that yellow shirt for the first time. And they had to work for it. The first 30 minutes, I thought Serbia really made life difficult for them. Their intensity dropped. Brazil's went up. Richarlison with two goals in the second half. What do you think of Brazil, Jess? Yeah, I thought they were made to work for it. It definitely wasn't an easy match for them. Serbia came in with a game plan and executed it fairly well. I just think they got exhausted. They got tired. They got fatigued. And unfortunately for a side, you can't necessarily keep up that energy of trying to break the opposition down for 90 minutes. And with the quality that Brazil has on them, they're always going to be able to hurt you. Richardson wearing a Brazil jersey is another level of gravy, though. That goal, the second goal, the... Way to set himself up. The scissor kick volley, amazing. One of the, well, the best goals so far. It'll take quite a bit to beat, I think. It was a, a really nice goal for me. I like it the most, Jason. I'm it's, sure. it's high on the list. The Saudi Arabia match winner is on that list as well. That was a really good goal. Those are your two goals of the tournament so far. So you're, you're saying that Richarlison's first touch, maybe not exactly perfect, but he's trying to set himself up yeah, rather than a miscontrolled it. touch. No, I think he means it. 
I think he I means it. I'm going to give him too. the credit. I think he had the caliber and the way that he set it up, it wasn't accidental. And the way he was able to move into that, but it looked so natural. It looked like he had planned into that right away. So great goal. I thought the defense deserves some credit too. I, against the side that we talked about the power that Serbia has in attack. We talked about the threat they have and that they want to get the crosses in, that they want to be able to serve. Brazil were organized, they were disciplined, and they made Serbia look pretty harmless up there most of the game. And I think that's a testament to the fact that Brazil has it on both ends of the field. There's a lot of teams in this tournament that have one or the other. They are either very good defensively, but because they're so defensive, they're not going to be able to threaten you attacking. Or they're very good attacking, but against the stronger side, they look like they'll concede goals. So I think that that's where Brazil still continues to be my favorite because I think they're able to do it on both ends of the pitch. Now, maybe the biggest news coming out of that match is Neymar being subbed mm -hmm. out, uh, obviously in some pain. There's pictures floating of his pretty swollen ankle. Um, it does not look pleasant, uh, but it's way too early to tell. And is it something he's really going to have to play through some pain in this tournament? Yeah, uh, go look at pictures of Diego Maradona's ankle in 1990 if, if you want to have your stomach turned by something because that thing was like a bowling ball wrapped around his, his leg and he had to play through it and carry the team to the final. Neymar's going to have to deal with it and Brazil maybe in the group stage is going to have to deal with managing his workload a little bit. We'll see. Called it last night. We were asked <laughs> what game would be the drunkest of the day. Uh, oh. Portugal Ghana was definitely drunk. And it almost ended in a keg stand when Inyaki Williams almost pulled off the steal for the ages at the end. Uh, what were you thinking about Portugal's goalkeeper there, Jess? I literally caught, I saw him sneaking out. Williams, he was so good at it. He hung out right in the six-yard box. And I think we had seen the goalkeeper make a few poor decisions mm -hmm. with the lead, a couple of poor clearances, a couple of hanging on to it, his game management wasn't smart enough for me he nearly and you saw him very emotional i don't know if you watched and watched him during the the shaking of hands very emotional knew that he had got extremely lucky that williams just slipped on the turf but we've seen it on the goalkeeper nightmare videos you never expect to see it happen live so so close but that's why you're taught check both shoulders yeah. particularly at that stage of the game where you're time wasting yeah why wouldn't you waste an extra two seconds doing some very dramatic looks over your shoulder? It was baffling to me. He almost cost Portugal. He almost put the cherry on the top of the best 25 minutes in terms of excitement level yeah. of a match so far. It was drunk, but it was really thrilling. Yeah, it was fun. Um, Ghana almost pulled it off. Portugal did not look all that convincing. But they did look pretty good at times. Bruno Fernandes was was outstanding when they moved him into the middle. And I'm really glad that Portugal started Joao Felix. I thought he was the player of the game. Really strong performance. Uh, quick one, the Ronaldo penalty. Was it a penalty for you? Uh, I don't want fouls like that to necessarily be a penalty because I'm a big believer in a bit more physicality and working in the game. But once it's given, it's never going to be clear and obvious. We have to remember... If the on-field ref gives a penalty, the margin to overrule it is clear and obvious. There was contact. Did Ronaldo sell the contact? Yeah. Also, yeah. He's done that his whole career. He knows what he's doing. He, he's a professional. And you're allowed 
to feel contact and go down. We may not like it, but he's not doing anything wrong. Physical contact, once it's given, it's never going to get pulled out. And you heard Ghana saying that the referee gave Ronaldo a gift. Well, you gave Ronaldo a gift by going in from behind in the 18-yard box. Yeah, there was contact in the back, and that generally is going to get the call. There was enough for a penalty there. I don't love it, but it's a penalty, and Ronaldo converts, and Portugal had to hold on and almost found a way to blow it. The other two games, only one goal in the two. Uh, Uruguay, South Korea, I thought it was pretty entertaining. I did. I liked the intensity of it. Maybe I I was pumped up by Federico Valverde with his shot late that goes off the the corner of the frame of the goal. But even better, the tackle he made in like the 94th, 95th minute. It's like a 50-yard sprint. He gets back. He makes the tackle. He pumps the fist. He was fired up. I... It's a game you kind of expected between those two. I think Uruguay is a team that the defense will carry them, mm-hmm. and they've got guys who can get goals when they need them. They didn't in this one, but you're going to bet on Luis Suarez. You're going to bet on Cavani. You're going to bet on Nunez. You're going to bet on Valverde more often than not to find a goal. Godin being as good as he was in the back was maybe the biggest surprise for me. I, I, I thought he was kind of past it playing in Argentina now after his career at Atletico Madrid came to an end. But he somehow summoned up uh, the the time machine to go back in time and be one of the best center backs in the world again. They were good. Switzerland was better because they got the win in their match over Cameroon. Uh, Briel Mbolo got the winner, did not celebrate, was born in Cameroon, naturalized Swiss citizen. Switzerland did enough. I thought Cameroon had opportunities to get a point or maybe even three in that game. What else stood out to you from the, the first two games of the day? The, I was a little harsh on Shakiri. I thought he did well. Yeah, he looked dangerous, process. great assist. And I think that, again, it's on those players when they put on the, the national team jersey, they get another level to themselves. I thought that he was dangerous. Can he keep doing it week in, week out, or game in, game out with a quick turnaround? Not 100% sure, but he's a player that if he's on his A game can be very dangerous for the Swiss, like the fact he didn't cel- celebrate the goal. I thought that was a, a nice moment, a good touch yeah. and respect for his, you know, uh, homeland. In terms of the Uruguay game, they did what we expect them to do. You know, I thought that Sonny wasn't 100% as expected with a facial fracture. He had a couple of moments that were brilliant, mm-hmm. a couple of really good trickery plays. Not sure he had the same level of physicality, perhaps a little bit tentative in a few of the challenges. He will improve throughout the tournament yeah. and as he improves... I think South Korea will improve as well. Yeah, I think South Korea showed that they can knock off the other teams in the group. Uh, I think that group is is wide open. I think Uruguay can win their last two games. I think South Korea can win their last two games. I think Ghana can win their last two games. Mm-hmm. I think Portugal can win their last <laughs> two games. That group is completely wide open. A um, couple of, of stats that stood out to me from these two. Shakiri, just how important he is to the Swiss. He's been directly involved in half of Switzerland's 24 goals across their last four appearances at major tournaments, Euros and World Cups, eight goals and four assists. He's he's vital, and he's still vital. Uruguay, just defensively, they have gone 465 minutes since they last conceded a goal in the group stage of the World Cup. The last person to score against them at the World Cup in a group stage match, Wayne Rooney in 2014. You're going way back. Uruguay a long time. Wayne Rooney. Yeah. He hasn't aged gracefully either. We'll talk oh. about that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
Yeah, Uruguay defensively. They are they are massive, massively strong team. All right, let's hear from a couple defenders who know a little bit about keeping clean sheets and also getting forward and getting involved in the attack. Anton Walks of Charlotte FC, Greg Garza, formerly Atlanta United and the U.S. men's national team. We're going to run through the clips kind of rapid fire and we'll react to it afterwards. Here's Anton, his thoughts on the U.S. performance against Wales. Um. I think they were very dominant in the first half and then somehow just started to lose a bit of quality. I think it's a good point. You know, they didn't lose the game. They could have easily lost the game in the second half. Hopefully they don't try and get their first win against us. But <laughs> No, um, I think they're in a good place. They've got a good team and there's a lot of potential if they can find a way to get a bit of momentum. And here's Greg Garza with his thoughts on that match. I think it was a deserved tie. Um, you know, I think after watching the very first half, and I think I speak for everyone, um, I, I thought, oh my gosh, we are flying. I thought, okay, we have an absolute chance to face anyone and everyone. Um, and I thought that, you know, we, we, we showed that with the intensity, with the, you know, there was an urgency within every single play that was so evident. And then we saw the other side of all the inexperienced, you know, top players that, that are still so young in the second half. And I think that's where maybe you can take a Spain, for example, where you have a lot of these experienced guys that are probably calming down and helping these younger experienced uh, players on the world stage. And I think maybe that is something that is missing for us, um, you know, with, within the team environment is that, that first half for me was one of the best first halves I've ever seen the U.S. men's national team play mm -hmm. under Greg Berhalter. That is the best, maybe maybe in all of U.S. soccer, um, the urgency and intensity and everything that was there, the movement of the ball, uh, we were absolutely flying. And I thought we could have been up maybe two to three nil um, by the end of the first half. But then the second half, it showed, you know, obviously the different colors of that experience and uh, maybe just a little bit of that fear and maybe that nervousness, Jess, of what you were speaking about, um, of, of how to finish off games. And, and and I think hopefully they can learn from that within such a short period of time and kind of use that first half confidence that they had and, and, and hopefully show hopefully that show that tomorrow. You can check out the full interview with Greg Garza and with Anton Walks on the Off the Woodwork folder on the Odyssey app or at your favorite podcatcher. Here's more from Greg on an attacking on attacking an English potential weakness in their back line. But I, I do think there are some flaws within within that back line, that back defense line within England that can be um, you know, anticipated and, and taken advantage of within this next game with the US. Um, and I would say, and this is me being a left back, I would go, I would go after Luke um, if, if if I were if I were the US and try and find a way to overload the right side. Um, in, in, in every way possible. So if I were to attack the back line in one way, um, I would use Timmy Weah's speed against Luke Shaw as mm -hmm. much as possible. Um, because, you know, I know Luke is a great player on the ball, but at the same time, if he plays against a lot of speedy players, um, he's he's built like me, right? We look like <laughs> boxers and we don't, we look like UFC fighters and we don't look like soccer players. Um, but, but I think, you know, that'd be a great, great, point to take in with Greg Berhalter within the next game. So if England has any worries, I think it would be that left side of defense. And now the fun stuff, the predictions first from Anton. Um, I'm going to hurt a few feelings here. No, feel free. Feel free. Hurt everyone's feelings. Come on, Anton. 3-1 to England. Goal scorers. 
Oh, I'm thinking Saka. I'm thinking Harry Kane and Sterling. And the US? Yeah. Who's going to sneak in the little consolation so they get at least something to cheer about? Oh, this is real pressure now. Um, I don't know. Who can I say? That I'll, uh, I'll go Tyler Adams. I think a nice long-distance goal. Maybe a deflection to say it ain't too good. That'd be nice. <laughs> Jess egging Anton on there in his prediction. Here's Greg Garza's prediction. I'm going to go for a tie. I'm going to go for a tie because it's going to set up the U.S. to to, to beat Iran in the last game. So whatever that may be, a 1-1, nil-nil, I think this is – I don't – Jason, you might know the stats to this, but has this been the most ties and the most lowing score World Cup so far in the history of World Cups? I haven't run that yet. I, it's got to be close. It the, has to be. Yeah. The scoring side's going to be out of whack because of that Spain game. Right. Like if you're right. looking at average goals in a game, but right. what are we up but to maybe, three scoreless draws now? Maybe total. Maybe total goals scored or just close games in general. Um, I think it's got to be. It's it's got to be up there. I feel like there were so many. There's been so many ties. There's been so many really close games. Um, that usually, you know, within World Cups, like I said before, are usually caught in awe and in shock and a lot of things that you see from the very get-go. Now, we talked to Greg before the shock and awe of the Portugal-Ghana game. So keep that in mind because things got really stupid after our conversation and then a couple more goals for Brazil as well. I think the goal scoring is going to come. I think the lack of pre-tournament camps has the attacks without chemistry right now. Um, and the defenses are stronger. What's your big takeaway from our conversations with Anton and Greg? That we know that English people are extremely confident going into this one, and I'm hoping that hubris isn't a resulting factor. I'm a little more tentative. I was egging Anton on to take that responsibility because I'm edging towards a draw, and I think a draw would be okay for England because realistically that will still help them push up against Wales. You're going to make a prediction in the next segment? I'm going to make a prediction in the next segment. We'll see what happens with those predictions. We're also going to get into some of the other juice box possibilities. So start counting your juice boxes. We'll let you know what the board's looking like for Friday in three minutes. Atlanta soccer tonight. We'll be right back on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. 
Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's Sucker, Sucker on the World Stage. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Final segment of getting ready for U.S. England and more tomorrow. There are some other games. But the big one in this country, ever since the draw came out, ever since the schedule got sorted, Black Friday, U.S. England, it's going to be insanity. A couple bits of World Cup news. Alireza Benranvand, the goalkeeper for Iran, who had to leave their match against England early in the first half with a potential concussion. He will miss the match, thankfully, against <laughs> Wales tomorrow. Uh Carlos Quiros, the manager of Iran, confirmed that due to the injury and, I guess, FIFA's concussion protocol, I don't know exactly what the concussion protocol is. It's FIFA, so make it up as you go along, I guess. He's not going to play tomorrow. He could be ready for the match against the United States next Tuesday. You never know with concussions, but it felt like Friday was going to be way too soon for him. Uh, it's not too soon for Romelu Lukaku to get back into the Belgium team, though. Uh, we were told he was going to miss the first two games, according to Roberto Martinez, before the tournament started. He's back training with the full squad. But Martinez being cagey, he won't say whether he'll start in game two against Morocco. He's needed for Belgium because they did not look completely whole against Canada. Other games on Friday, it kicks off early, and this is a really important one for the U.S. and England. Wales-Iran at 5 a.m., Wales is a slight favorite, plus 115, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. Iran plus 280. The draw is plus 200. What do you think about this one, Jess? I think the odds on that are probably skewed, quite frankly, because of the way Iran played against England and the scoreline against England. And as much as, yes, England were dominant, I think Iran had glimpses where they looked really talented. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people writing them off right now because... They just saw the scoreline. They saw the 6-2. They didn't necessarily watch the whole game. They turned off. They, you know, watched some highlights. And the highlights are obviously going to be English dominant. But I think Iran had moments. You saw it with the two goals. You saw it with the fight back. And I think Greg Garza put it best that once the goalkeeper was injured, their heads weren't really there. That emotional investment, that emotional component of the national anthem, of everything going back in their home country had an impact. I'm wondering if now they may have settled that game was maybe a wake-up call to them that they don't want to not be able to show what they can do on the pitch. And perhaps it's Wales that gets the brunt of the frustrations of the Iranians. Yeah, and Eddie Taremi, uh, he got a goal. He's dangerous. He got two goals. He's very dangerous, and he needs a little more help. I, I thought Golizade was also really good for Iran. If they can get Sardar Azmoun fit enough to start, Iran can cause Wales some problems. I was not all that impressed with Wales until they really, truly went route one and gave the U.S. problems with that. I don't think Iran will struggle with that as much because they're going to sit back more. So I'm, I'm curious about that one. I think it could go either way. Qatar and Senegal is at 8 a.m. Qatar plus 500, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. Senegal minus 160. Big favorites in this one. Draw plus 270. Do you expect a better performance from Qatar in game two? 
I think that they have to. I think that as a host nation, <laughs> no, it can't get much worse in a yeah, lot of ways. They can't really offer anything or bring much to the table. And you're the host nation. You've got that fan advantage. The crowd packs out. You don't want to have been planning for this for 10 plus years and then go out and get beaten every single game. They've, they've got to put up a fight here. And I think this is the most likely game for them to get something out of. Uh, Senegal played the Netherlands well, but I think Ecuador is better than Senegal. And that's who Qatar will finish with. Um, still, though, I think Senegal takes care of business. It might take a minute for them to break through. It, it might not happen immediately for them. They are still really missing Sadio Mane. I thought his Mylasar was very good in game one. But they just need a little bit more just a little bit more the netherlands and ecuador that's the 11 a.m game I, this is going to be a great match i'm mm -hmm. really looking forward to it the dutch are a big favorite minus 140 ecuador plus 430 draw plus 260 that ecuador win number really jumps out to me i really like this ecuadorian team i thought they played very very well in game one and i think they're a team that is built to kind of deal with what the Netherlands can throw at them. I think they're going to sit back, hit on the counter, and be very dangerous. More underestimating, I feel like, of Ecuador. People are looking at the nation. They're looking at the names on the two different teams and maybe just underestimating what they can do. It was a fairly complete performance. It was an exciting performance. The youth was fantastic. They've got that speed on the counter. And listen, the Netherlands got a win, but I wasn't blown away. Were you? No, I was not. Um, it took him a long time to break through uh, a little bit of, of magic from Frankie de Jong finding Cody Gakpo, who was their best player in that match. I didn't think Memphis Depay looked very good when he came on. Gakpo is going to have to do it again for them. And, and uh, they're going to have to make a decision. Louis van Hall is going to have to make a decision on Matthias de Ligt because he was horrendous in that game. Just awful. If he starts again, he's going to make a mistake that costs the Netherlands. I think Ecuador will be able to punish them for it. Maybe this is a surprise. Maybe this is not a surprise. I don't know. The The FanDuel Sportsbook, the biggest underdog of the day is the United States. A bigger underdog than Qatar against Senegal. Plus I would be offended, Jason. <laughs> That's pretty vile. <laughs> plus 600 the U.S. is in this one. 340 is the draw number. Minus 220, England is an overwhelming favorite against the United States. I feel like that's quite disrespectful to the U.S., honestly. I mean, listen, England won 6-2, but I'm still, maybe it's because I'm trying to limit my expectation and try and keep myself calm and not come across as the um, overconfident English person because I know Americans are probably fed up of English people disrespecting their soccer team and talking about football ignorantly. So I just find that quite shocking that they really think the U.S. on the odds. That feels like a fairly good number, honestly. Maybe I'll bet against England. Yeah, that that's that's out of whack to me. Oh, it's funny. As I'm looking at it, literally, as we're doing this, it just dropped. So maybe somebody out there listening is like, whoa, let me jump on that number real quick. Before I get just, the 600. <laughs> it just dropped to 550. So I, maybe this is changing as the money is starting to come in worldwide in this game. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook is where we get our numbers from. If if you liked who scored the goal for the U.S. in game one, Timothy Weah, 
He's a plus 500 to score again in this one. Um, he is not the number one goal scoring option for the U.S. in terms of the odds. And this maybe tells you a little bit about how some of the numbers have been going. Jesus Ferreira, who didn't play in game one, is the number one goal scoring option for the U.S. according to the odds at plus 330. Harry Kane, they expect him to score. He's a minus 120. Um, th- those numbers surprise me a little bit because I feel like, and this is a tough game to get a read on, honestly, because if you're reading the English tabloids, uh, it's no chance for the U.S. The, the odds would be even bigger than those. If you're listening to maybe the, the general U.S. public, it's maybe too optimistic. If you're listening to some of the U.S. punditry about it, I, I think it's generally negative. Um, yeah. I, I think the U.S. can cause England some problems in this game. I really, truly do. Now, they've got to execute. And that's the more that I've looked back at the game against Wales, and I know people will get hung up on Greg Berhalter's tactics, and again, you get into agendas and narratives. I thought the tactics were good. I thought the lineup was good. I thought the play was good enough to win if the execution had been better. There were times where everything was set up the way it should be. The play was set up. The decision was made properly. And the pass was either over hit or under hit. Or the right option wasn't picked occasionally. Or a bad touch. Or a mistake, like what happened with Walker Zimmerman. So I feel like the U.S. Because here's the thing. I'll be curious to see what those numbers look like for England-Wales when we get to that point. Because if you if you take that thought about the U.S. could have been better against Wales, because I've heard the same from the Welsh side. They're like, oh, they could have won that match too. Okay, fine. I'll bet you that there is more respect for Wales against England than there is for the U.S. against England. I think it's a cultural thing, unfortunately, and it's something that I work really hard to preach against as much as I can. You see on my social media all the time because I have a big English following. I always try and be an advocate for the U.S. game. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in England that have that uneducated attitude when it comes to American soccer. They have a chip Mm. on their shoulder because of the use of the word soccer, stupid things like that. But unfortunately, (laughs) it's the case. There's a lot of people that... Listen, I'll be completely honest with you. When I moved here 10 years ago, I was a snob about it. I wasn't really very appreciative of MLS. I didn't understand it because I had never been exposed to it, whether it's time difference, whether it's access. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in England right now that turn a blind eye to American soccer and haven't seen the growth. Whereas in America, people are watching the European leagues. They're watching the qualifiers for common ball for all the different areas. I think a lot of people in England are very one trick ponies. They only focus on the Euro game. And that's why there's a level of respect for European oppositions versus the Americans. And as I said, I think the key word is hubris. I worry very much that this could be a pride before the full moment where there's a lot of English fans who are expecting this to be another walk in the park, another big demolition. If we face adversity in this game, it could become a tough one. couple of things to keep in mind about this. The last time the U.S. beat England, and they haven't played a ton over the years, really, period, but especially in the last maybe 30 years. Last time U.S. beat England was U.S. Cup 1993. It was the summer tournament a year before the World Cup. Um, so never in my lifetime. Never in my lifetime. Yep. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, there has been a draw in a World Cup, though. We'll get to that in a second. But the U.S. 1993 2-0 in U.S. Cup. Uh, the only other time the U.S. has beaten England ever, um, and I think it's out of like 10 or 11 games, again, not a ton, was the 1950 World Cup. The flip side of it's been a long time since the U.S. beat England is the U.S. has never lost to England at a World <laughs> Cup. Two games, 1950, it was a win, shocking win heard around the world. And then the 1-1 draw in 2010, that was incredibly even. I think both teams are a lot better than they were in 2010. I think both teams are stronger. I think both teams are more well-rounded. Um, I think it'll be a much better game because that game ultimately really wasn't that good. It just it wasn't a good game. It's a horrible mistake that gives the U.S. their goal. And it's a 1-1. Um, what's the most important thing in your mind for England to get the dub in this one? Put in the game to bed if you get an opportunity early. I think that we look at Iran and how long it took to score the goal. And, and you know, for what, 30 minutes, you weren't able to break it down. I think trying to get on the score sheet early to settle any anxiety and, and to put it bluntly, and I'm sorry to say this, US fans, but to sort of kill the hope of the US. I think that if you're able to get a goal early, heads will drop. If you get a second goal, then the young, the young and lack of leadership may start to have an impact on this US side. Heads may drop and they may feel like the game's got away with them. If you're the favorite, you can't let a smaller team grow bigger in the game. You can't let that confidence grow. You can't let them start to feel like they're in it. If you're the favorite, you have to have that mentality. I think the number one thing for England to win this game is to execute on their set pieces. I think mm. England is the best team in the world on set pieces. Um, mm -hmm. They score in a variety of ways on set pieces. Kieran Trippier is one of the best in the world at his delivery or taking shots from free kicks. Um, I think Harry Maguire is dangerous in these situations, as we saw against Iran. Harry Kane, obviously, but a number of different ways they can hurt you on set pieces. That's what the U.S. has to avoid. They can't give up the dangerous set pieces. They can't give up a lot of set pieces, period. But especially in the final third, They've got to be extremely, extremely careful. In my mind, the number one thing for the U.S. to do to get the dub in this one, which I don't think is a crazy thing, by the way. I, I, I don't think, again, those numbers to me are, I agree, disrespectful. I think they're out of whack. Can the U.S. win this game? Yes. I think some people laughed when Greg Berhalter and players said they feel like they can beat anybody. They have to perform at the right level to be able to do that. But this team should never go into a game and feel like they can't win. They're better than that. They can beat teams. Do they need a little help to do that? Do they need to be at their best? Absolutely they do. Welcome to the, the international game where only eight countries have ever won the World Cup. I think for the U.S. to beat England in this game, it's going to take a performance worthy of what we've seen at times in U.S. men's national team history, you know, from a Landon Donovan, from a Clint Dempsey, you know, you want to go further back than that. I mean, you're, you're looking at John Harks, Tab Ramos, Eric Winalda. You need Christian Pulisic to have that kind of a day because I think he's the player that England is going to fear the most when he's on the field. I think England's going to respect him the most. I mean, you don't get to Chelsea. You don't do the things that he's done at Chelsea. I know he plays inconsistently, but he has had big moments there. Mm -hmm. They are going to respect him. He's got to have that kind of a day where he becomes a household name in the United States with that kind of a performance, that kind of clutch performance. It's going to take that kind of individual performance, in my opinion.
See, for me, I'm thinking it's got to be a full 90-minute performance. I think that we saw against Wales, no good having a good first 45, no good going in, nil-nil at halftime. How many matches in this World Cup have we seen going at halftime, nil-nil? It seems like plenty. And I think that for the US, okay, it's great. You get to halftime, nil-nil. You've dominated the game. You've made England look average. Great. But it's not going to count for anything if you can't do it in the second 45 minutes. So it's about consistency through the game and making sure you're able to perform to the same level throughout and not have the ebbs and the flows that maybe we saw in the opener. I think the difference will be that they won't have control for 90, but I think they need to manage the the ebbs a little bit because they're going to have times where they can't control the game. England is is just too good for that not to happen, but they've got to let those moments not be moments that punish them. We're going to talk about this tomorrow night. This is going to be a huge talking point. I think it's something that we'll, we'll honestly always remember this kind of a game because it's that big. This could be a huge turning point for soccer in this country. Uh, this could just be a really big game. We're going to find out tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock. Uh, if you're coming to the event at Wild Heaven, it is sold out. It's hit capacity. Their tickets were free, but it is full. If you're coming, remember to bring blankets and or winter coats to donate to the homeless. All of the Atlanta United supporters groups and the American Outlaws chapter here in Atlanta are partnering on the drive for blankets and winter coats. They're going to make the donation at the end of the tournament. Awesome initiative. Bring a blanket, bring a winter coat if you can to donate. Um, we're live tomorrow night after the Hawks and Rockets, about 11 o'clock or so. Break down everything from U.S. England, the rest of Group B. We'll look ahead to a massive Argentina-Mexico game on Saturday where Argentina might be playing for their World Cup lives. Y'all have a great night. Happy Thanksgiving and adios, everybody. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.